Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. One of the main components of monastic life is celibacy. Traditionally in Buddhist practice, the monastic Sangha has been celibate. um, And this is only... Uh, changed slightly in Japan, as I understand it, due to political reasons. And I think in Tibet there is also um, a a type of lama um, that can be married. But for the most part, Buddhist monks throughout the world are celibate. And I think that there's many reasons for that. Um both practical and spiritual. And so I'll try to talk a little bit about that um, in an effort to try and illuminate what may be um, a practice that uh, people don't generally know much about or, or have thought much about or, or why why is it important. I'm currently at the moment, 37. Uh, I was 27 when I ordained as a monk, and I was 24 when I moved to the Eugene Buddhist Priory, which is where I uh, did my lay residency and postulancy and was actually ordained before me and my teacher, Reverend Master Oswin, moved down uh, and joined the Shasta Abbey community. And so as a young man, sexuality, you know, the body, my body is what it is. It's a young male body. And so I definitely deal with biology. You know, I have to sit still with everything that my body is telling me to do. You know, it wants to have a family. Um, You know, it wants to have kids, reproduce, Maybe that sounds funny to talk about it in kind of such a, an objective way. But I think that that's part of Buddhist practice is that we are trying to look at things objectively. We're trying to disassociate uh, ourselves from believing in this story that, you know, our genetics, our personality, just all of the things that make up us, the scripture of great wisdom, encourages us to see that, you know, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not myself. This is void, unstained, and pure. It doesn't mean that practically there isn't something there, there isn't the chemistry there that is, you know, trying to influence my decisions. But um, ultimately, those things that that influence us are, are empty. And um, we are not... We are not subject to that. We have free will. We have a choice, even though sometimes that choice can seem very clouded. It can seem very hard to see that we have a choice. But so I, you know, I've I've had to deal with and still deal with the fact that I'm in the body of a young man and um, everything that you can imagine that that comes with. Um, practically, um, I can't imagine. Um, being in a relationship, being a monk and being in a relationship, a romantic relationship, and um, 
for whatever merit uh, that I have coming, having come into this, I, I never considered that option. Um, I was raised Catholic, and I don't know how much that that influenced me or not. Um, I don't think of myself as someone who ever paid very much attention in church, but, you know, so it could be karma, it could be, you know, a little bit of my Catholic upbringing, I don't know, but but I never thought that when I was interested in becoming a monk, I never thought, oh, there's other orders that have married priests, and would I want to do that? For some reason, I always naturally, intuitively understood, just there wasn't even the question in my mind, you know, I just naturally thought monks are celibate, um, they don't get married, they don't have romantic relationships. Um, and if I try and put myself back in that attitude of mind of why I would have thought that and not questioned that, I think it's because intuitively I understood that the life of a monk, we are dedicating our energy to the religious practice. Now, the thing is, is that everyone actually has that opportunity you don't you can be a layperson and be dedicating you know the whole of your life to practice and that's what we teach here that and the purpose of that in in life is to make your life just an expression of that practice so as river master oswin has uh, taught me you know growing up monastically it's not that monks and lay people um have a different training. There's not a different training that we do. It's the same practice. Um, and lay people have the same opportunity. But for the, for the sake of these talks, exploring monastic life, I will, you know, we, I and we will be talking specifically about monastic life and what it means to be a monk. And so that, that aspect of monastic daily life dedicating um, our energy and our focus to uh, the practice, to the teaching, um, to, to kind of holding that space, being here for the Sangha um, when they need help, um, or just a place to come and be still, you know, keeping the monastery open for others to come and practice here. Um, and if I had, um, you know, a girlfriend, a wife, or kids, um, that just again on a just even on a practical level, it can immediately complicate the situation. Um, having been in relationships before becoming a monk, I can appreciate. Um, how much work a relationship takes, the kind of attention that we in that relationship require from each other. And one of the really important things about monastic life is that we are we are we are re rewiring our agenda 
so that we are um, answering the call of what daily life and reality uh, asks of us, if that makes sense. Life is unpredictable. Things can happen very quickly. And as monks, we are supporting the practice, supporting the sangha, supporting the monastery, um, supporting the congregation. You never know who's going to... Someone could get very sick very quickly. Um, There could be a death. Someone could come for sanzen. And a monk always needs to be... The the life of a monk is kind of like a life of service. um, Service to the sangha. um, But also service to ourselves in our own in our own journey, in our own practice towards our own liberation. And, and so that kind of answering of a call, this kind of quiet, formless call um, that can manifest physically, again, like I said, you know, someone getting sick or coming for sanzen and, and, and needing, you know, sometimes you get a phone call and the day changes very quickly. Um, and... And in ourselves, in our own practice, you know, needing quiet time to meditate, um, just the the work that we do around the monastery. I work at the moment, I work in the kitchen, um, and maybe the kitchen needs my attention, you know, right now for some reason. Or a layperson comes by and donates something, so I need to go be with them and say thank you. Um, and so the way that Rev. Master Oswin taught me and explained it was like, we have this kind of one-on-one relationship with reality, with daily life. And, and that is our primary relationship. At, 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 because, because we as monks keep our lives open in that way, um, we, can always, we can hopefully always respond. Now that gets very, that is a very difficult part of monastic life, which maybe we'll talk about in another talk. Um, because you have to let go of your own agenda, even though we don't have relationships. Maybe there was something that I wanted to do that day. You know, I really wanted to go sit down and have a rest, but something happens in daily life and you just have to let that go and respond to the situation. And if I had kids, um, or, um, a partner, um, it would not, I mean, that is an, a very important part of life too. And that requires um, its own uh, attention and energy and stability. Like, like that person needs to be able to depend on me um, so that if, if something in their life requires my attention, that, you know, I need to make sure that I'm available to um, help or address something in, in their life, you know, especially with kids, you know, I, I don't have, I I haven't had kids. So, but I can imagine I've been a kid and I can remember how unpredictable my own life was and how my mom and dad were always 
there and ready to respond to something that I needed, you know, whether good or bad. And so it kind of pull, it would pull at a monk if they had that, that, um, that other responsibility. And the way that Master Oswin described it was like a tripod, um, or like this kind of three-way relationship where the monk is trying to um, respond to daily life, um, but then you also have this other relationship which has, you know, equal and necessary importance. And so these things can can conflict with each other. You know, a monk needing to respond to daily life. Um, that could be in conflict with needing to respond to your husband or your wife, uh, your partner. And so I think just on a practical level, celibacy is there to cut out a whole level of responsibility that could potentially conflict with a monk's ability to be completely... um, beholden to daily life and to the calls and requirements of daily life. Another large part about monastic life and especially about Zen, the Zen tradition in particular, is the master-disciple relationship. Uh, And we'll do a talk specifically about the monastic, about the master-disciple relationship because uh, as monks in our tradition, that is an extremely important part of our practice. And so you can kind of see the, the relationship between master and disciple, teacher and student as part of that, quote, daily life um, responsibility, um, Sometimes, um, you know, the teacher is sick, uh, and we have to get them food, uh, help, you know, help get them food, or can I do your laundry for you? Is there something I can do for you? They have a Dharma talk that they're trying to prepare for. There's a lot of ways, a lot of ways that our teachers um, lead very busy lives. And so oftentimes the student again, just in a practical sense, is helping the teacher. Now, again, imagine if I'm trying to help my teacher and I'm also trying to respond to a partner or kids, it creates this conflict. And a very strong part of the uh, the master-disciple relationship is being willing to answer that call um, without thoughts of self, um, in a, in a very selfless way, that's part of the practice because again, the the master often, not intentionally, becomes this kind of this object in daily life. This kind of can be it can seem like a chaotic object in daily life where it often something comes up that is inconvenient for the student, and it's an opportunity. Again, the master is not trying to do this, but it just it just seems to work out that way a lot of the times. But it is very much a part of our practice that that quote inconvenience is an opportunity for us to let go of our agenda. It's a it's an opportunity for us to work on letting go of the self, and um, 
to make that the focus of, okay, here's this need, um, the call and the response. It, it can just be one. It can be just right there. And again, whereas a family would complicate that uh, because a family deserves um, that kind of attention. On another <clears throat> practical level, um, you know, Master Jiu, when she started the monastery, they did have married priests because that was the Japanese way. That was the Japanese tradition was they had married priests. And um, again, just on another practical level, the monastery, you know, as many of you have, who have come and stayed at the monastery, it's not a place for kids. <laughs> if I was a kid, I'd be bored stiff here. Um, and that's not a problem. You know, kids, you know, kids shouldn't be locked up in a monastery. I mean, that's just my opinion, you know, some, and, we, and someone else could have a different thought on that, which is fine, but I wouldn't want to be a kid here. Um, you know, you want to be out with your friends, you want to be playing. Um, yeah, a monastery just, just isn't, there's a great kind of depth of responsibility, you know, personal responsibility and, you know, adultness that, that, is cultivated here, hopefully, uh, for doing our practice correctly. Rev. Master Jiu used to say that Zen was for spiritual adults. And um, so I can just, I can't imagine, you know, trying to raise a kid here. Um, and families are very expensive. Kids are very expensive. And monks live on donations. Um, and we have very, very little. So that is another practical concern that um, we don't charge for retreats. We don't charge people for coming here. We're very grateful for donations um, when people do come. But if someone came and couldn't offer anything other than just their kind presence, that's great. Like, like, and, and how would that change the monastery and what we would have to require from people um, if all the monks were trying to provide for families, put kids in school, through college, it just seems like a very quickly complicating factor, um, money. And again, that's another thing that we'll talk about with exploring monastic life is how freeing that is uh, in monastic life as a monk when we don't need anything. Um, you know, to have nothing, to want nothing, to know nothing. Um, you have nothing that anyone can take away from you. Uh, there's nothing to be afraid of. So those are just some practical ideas. Um, and it's certainly not an exhaustive list or, or exploration of the practical side of, of celibacy. And spiritually, I don't know that I can personally talk much about the spiritual uh, aspects of celibacy. Um, but um, Reverend Master Jiu had her, her Kensho in 1976. And one of the things that came out of that was a very strong personal understanding for her that she needed to move the monastery towards celibacy and that celibacy was very important for 
um, the monastic life and and when you read the teachings of the Buddha, the Pali Canon, the stories that have been passed down from, you know, the Buddha's time, um, the Buddha would talk about these kind of four stages of awakening and the third stage um, of which was when greed and sexual desire kind of dropped, you know, as it said, dropped away. Um, and so in our practice, um, there is this point in which we have to look honestly at sexual desire, uh, and see that, that, you know, this is something that I'm cultivating, um, agreed that I'm cultivating and, um, we just have to ask some hard questions within that. You know, why is this? Who is it that is engaging with this? And what is it that I am engaging with? Um, these elements of not-self, um, impermanence, and uh, stress or suffering. Um, and how does this desire and how does this continuation of this desire, this engaging with sexuality, how does this perpetuate uh, suffering? How does this perpetuate um, my own clinging to a story that, as the Buddha taught, is fundamentally not real, but we continuously try to give reality to a story that isn't real. And I, th I think that that's um, a large source of suffering for us, not even with sexu sexuality, but just in general, just this whole construct of a self. We are continuously trying to give reality to something that fundamentally isn't real. And there's this confused dance that we do in trying to prop up something that actually isn't there. So my point in all of that is that, um, again, and I don't feel like I can speak much on it, but that when you read the Buddha's teachings, there is very much this element of crossing a point where sexual desire um, needs to be let go of. Um, there is a gate in our practice, in our religious life, where that aspect of us needs to be looked at very seriously and, as the Buddha says, let go of, depending on you know how far we want to go um, in our religious life. And, and that's up to us. There's no problem. You know, we don't have to do that to be Buddhists. Um, there's no time scale in this. Uh, and, and we all let go at whatever speed we can. So, so there's, there's absolutely no problem or judgment in any of this. This is, this is just, you know, the Buddha didn't make this up. This is just the Buddha saying, sorry, this is just how it is. This is just the nature of attachment and the nature of, of the self and of desire. And I think that's what he was, he, he wasn't, he was just trying to point this out to us just to, 
tell us how it is, not how he said it was. Um, and I'm going to ask one of the seniors to maybe talk more, especially about the spiritual side of this, um, someone who has more experience in monastic life. I've only been a monk for 10 years, so I can definitely talk about the practical aspects of it. You know, um, it's very difficult. Celibacy is a very difficult practice, but I have never wanted to do anything else. Um, I've, it just has always made sense. And uh, as a monk, it feels right. It just feels like um, I'm letting go of something that is and putting that energy into something else. Um, and all of these other aspects of monastic life that we will talk about in this series, that those are the things that I'm putting my, my energy into, my effort into. And um, it is difficult, uh, celibacy, and yet there is, um, there is a, there are benefits. There is a peace, um, there is a focus, there is a purpose that comes with it. And um, it can sound crazy, I realize. And believe me, 10 years or 15 years ago, if you had told me I was going to be a celibate monk, I would have been like, yeah, right. Like, good one, bud. But uh, it's true. And it just has always continued to feel right. Again, it, it's not easy. But definitely um, feels like this is the way. For me, feels like that. And... Um, and again, so then there you have daily life, just getting up today and dealing with, okay, this is how the body feels, this is what it wants me to do, and that's just our practice, just being still with what, with the feelings and the ideas and the thoughts that we have, letting those go, and just going deeper into that question of, um, or that letting go of the, the idea of who I think I am or what I think I am, and just trying to see clearly, like the Buddha just doing my best to try and see clearly what is really going on here. You know, what is this? So, thank you. Homage to the Buddha. Homage to the Dharma. Homage to the Sangha.